would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, book of Exodus chapter 5. We are still making our way through Exodus, and last week we saw Moses finally took those steps of obedience necessary to get before Pharaoh. And so again, a couple weeks ago, we were at that that monumentous moment uh, of the burning bush, God speaking to Moses in that way. And, and then last week we saw Moses, as I mentioned, kind of taking those first steps. And, and I, I wonder, the, the question that kind of uh, sticks in my head after looking at that and then certainly me knowing what this text says today, I wonder if you are willing to be obedient even when the results aren't what you want. Like, uh, oftentimes we, we put our obedience is, is like predicated upon the promise that it will happen, the result will be what we want. And not, that is not what we see evidenced in Scripture. Humble, repentant obedience is what the Lord is looking for in us. Humble, repentant obedience. So in the text, what we're going to do as we normally do, we're just going to kind of walk through the story and we'll see. So in this text we'll look at today, we'll first see that Moses acted in obedience to the Lord. I'm so thankful for that, honestly, that that, that can be the first point of the day, the first kind of message truth is that Moses actually did what he was supposed to do, right? We have, we've gone through a couple times where Moses wasn't so quick to obey. Uh, in fact, we, we found out at first he's making all kinds of excuses, multiple excuse after excuse after excuse. And then last week, he starts to take the right steps, but still hadn't even uh, fulfilled the covenant that he and his people had made with God, had not shown a sign of the covenant. But now, in chapter 5, we'll see that, that Moses is acting in obedience to the Lord. Look, first, he spoke of Yahweh. He spoke of the one. All right, listen to verse 1. After Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go. They may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, a couple things to note here. They've made it, right? They got before Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron are there in the place, like in the palace. They've, they've made it to audience with the king, the Pharaoh. This was a big deal. And what Moses says, or what Aaron says through uh, from Moses, uh, thus says the Lord. This is the same language that prophets use, right? The, the Lord has spoken. When Moses says this, he's making it very clear to Pharaoh who's really in charge. Yeah, it's a big deal that they had gotten audience with Pharaoh, that they were able to, to, to be in the same room, to be in the palace with him. But all, right here, when he says, thus says the Lord, right, it should be that that is in all caps in your Bible. It is Lord there. 
saying Yahweh. Remember, remember back a couple weeks ago when Moses says, who am I supposed to say sent me? I mean, how are they even going to believe me? How is this going to work? And God says, tell them I am sent you. Tell them that the uncaused cause sent you. Tell them that Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, the God, the promised one, the one, the creator. Now, all of that is encompassed in this I am statement. All of this is, is in this Yahweh said. It, it surely must have hit Moses with some pretty strong implications. And Pharaoh doesn't like it either. We'll see in just a minute. Don't, don't miss the significance of such a, a small statement to us. Thus says the Lord. Pharaoh is thinking, who cares what the Lord says? That's just a reminder to us that many times when we speak of what the Lord says in his word to the world around us, they are not concerned with what God says. Now, it, it is right for us to look to the word and to the Lord, but for those who are lost, the word and the Lord do not matter. So we... We must lean on this truth. So he spoke of Yahweh. He also spoke of obedience. Look at verse 3. Then they said, the God of Hebrews has met with, with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. They want to be obedient to God. So they're asking Pharaoh, please let us go. Let us go out, leave this place on a three days journey so that we can provide sacrifice, so that we can obey the will of the Lord. He's making it clear. He's identifying that Yahweh, the Lord, is God. God specifically of the Hebrews. He's specifically the God that they are choosing to obey. Specifically the God that they are choosing to worship. When this definition, right, like this term that they're using, the God of Hebrews, you know what that says? You're not God. That would have been a really big deal. The, the statement, the God of the Hebrews, would have said, we know that the two million of us, maybe, are, are living in your land. And in your land, Pharaoh is God. He's one of the gods. In fact, he's the personification of the sun god, Ra. He was supposed to be obeyed. He was supposed to be worshipped. If anyone was going to offer sacrifice, they should be offering sacrifice to him. So it's like a slap in the face when Moses and Aaron come and say, we want to take our people out of here so that we can worship the God of the Hebrews, our God, the God, the one we just said, this is the uncaused cause, the, the great I am. We want to go and worship that God. You see, obedience does not always mesh with the expectations of those around us. He, Pharaoh didn't like that idea, did he? doing what the Lord commanded of them, what the God of the Hebrews had commanded of the Hebrews themselves was not appealing to Pharaoh, was not pleasing in his sight. But maybe even more importantly for us to remember is that the 
Obedience to God does not always guarantee our safety. Have you ever heard that, that phrase, the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God? That's not always true. Hear all of this, don't just shut me off at that point. But listen, was it safe for Daniel to be in the lion's den? Was it, was it safe for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to, to be in a fiery furnace? Was it safe for David to stand before Goliath? Or the disciples to cross the raging sea? Was it safe when Paul, when he was shipwrecked or beaten or bitten by a snake? Or even still, was it safe when Jesus was beaten and flogged and crucified? No. Yet all of these things were clearly in the will of God. Like those are listed as things that were in the will of God. See, it's not that the situation is always safe. It's not that the circumstances are always safe. If you obey, then you will be fine. There will be no difficulty, no hardship, no, no trials. No, instead, it's that the Lord of hosts is on our side. It's that when we're in the lion's den or when we're in the fiery furnace or when we are being beaten or in a shipwreck or bitten by a snake, whatever the thing is, like David just mentioned earlier, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. He is the king of glory. The God of the Hebrews as he, the Yahweh, is our God. Hold on, hold on to these thoughts as we continue, that the Lord of hosts is with us. If he was good, if Moses acted in obedience to the Lord, while, on the other hand, Pharaoh acted as the Lord declared, the reason I put it, well, let, let's see what happens. Verse 2, we're going to go back just a, a verse. But Pharaoh said, this is his response, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Okay, then again, we, we saw verse, verse 3. They say, no, here's, he, he, the Lord is the God of the Hebrews. So then verse 4, But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Herod, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. Now, you might be saying, okay, well, what do you mean that Pharaoh acted as the Lord declared? That sounds like he was being obedient. 
as, as Moses was. No, what I want you to remember is that his heart was hard just like God had declared it would be. Remember? Last week, God tells Moses, Moses, you're going to go before Pharaoh, but hear me, his heart will be hard. I will harden his heart. What, what happens? He goes before Pharaoh and he says, I will not let the people of Israel go. I'm not letting you leave. I'm not letting you go on this three-day journey to worship some God I've never even heard of. Who is this the Lord? Who is this Yahweh you speak of? I'm not letting you go to him. In fact, because you asked, I'm going to make your life harder. You know what? We used to bring you straw to, to mix in order to make the bricks. No, find your own straw. And, and don't slow down, by the way. You better give us just as many bricks, just as quickly, no matter how much work it takes. You better work harder. You're so lazy, he says. In fact, he's so hardened that he is continually seeing himself as a god. Pharaoh, he viewed himself as a god. Remember, I, I said that was something we needed to kind of hold on to, put a pin in. His response to the name of Yahweh is that he is unconcerned with that name. He doesn't even know who is this God. So he makes a different statement. Look at verse 10. So in verse 10, it says, So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said what? Thus says Pharaoh. Did you catch the difference? When Moses spoke, he said, Thus says the Lord. Like I, I even brought out the point that, that this is uh, the language of a prophet, right? Thus says the Lord. I'm, I'm declaring to you what has been declared to me by God himself. Thus says the Lord. But, but Pharaoh, he makes sure that his people say, thus says Pharaoh. You see, Ra, uh, this, this sun god who Pharaoh was in supposed to be like a, the personified version of Ra. Ra was particularly the head of all gods. They, you can kind of think of him like Zeus. Zeus in Greek mythology would have been like the, the head of all of the gods, right, on Mount Olympus. And so Ra would have been this equivalent. Now, the reason that, that you need to remember that is in the weeks ahead, as we talk about plagues and other things, it is helpful to, to hold on to the fact that Pharaoh saw himself and that the people of Egypt saw Pharaoh as the, like, the visual picture of Ra, the sun god. So Pharaoh viewed himself as a god, and he viewed the Israelites as the problem. Notice how he says, get back to your burdens. Like he, he acknowledges that he's given them burdens. He's given them work to do. And he says, quit being lazy and do what we've commanded of you. Well, the people of the land, verse 5, are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Pharaoh is mad at Moses because he's, he's trying to pull them aside, trying to cause them to rest. By rest, he means you're, you're trying to get them to worship God, and that means not working for me. So he says, we're going to wear them out. So they don't even have time to think about God. 
hey, we're going to make the work harder, more difficult to take place, but require just as much uh, on the end, output. Isn't it incredible that Pharaoh is annoyed by their rest? God is going to not only give the people rest, in fact, he's going to command that they take it so that in their rest, they might give him the worship he deserves. Right? I mean, just fast forward to the Ten Commandments, right? This day of rest, there's an expectation. You're going to rest. You know, you know what Pharaoh hated? He hated when you rested. I, the Lord, I am giving you rest. I'm expecting you to pause. And when you pause and when you rest, you should give me the glory that I deserve. This is, this is how the Lord treats his people. You see, the work assigned is not just exhausting. The, the work assigned to them is supposed to be like will-breaking. Again, go back to verse 7. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. Verse 8, but the number of bricks they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. So they keep, they keep asking, we want to we go and worship. And he says, no, no. Thus says Pharaoh, I will, give, I will not give you straw. So the people are scattered. They're having to find stubble, not even the, the good kind of straw for brick making. And the taskmasters were urgent. Complete your work, your daily task every single day. This is heavy. So what do the people do? The people, quite honestly, they were just like normal. The people, the people of God, complained as they normally do. I feel like uh, the longer we stay in, uh, like in, in studying Scripture, <laughs> the longer we see this pattern. The, or the more clear this pattern gets, right? This is a pattern of people of God. Like, that's how the people of God are known, as disobedient complainers. And sometimes even still today, there's some that, May that not be said of us. May it not be said that we are disobedient complainers. We're whiners. We do things our way instead of the ways of God. So what are they first? They grumbled to the taskmasters. Verse 14, the four men of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Four men of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. Behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is what you, this is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So they, 
the, the taskmasters, the Israel, uh, their foremen, so like the, the taskmasters from Egypt had assigned some of the Israelites like uh, kind of a level of authority. They were supposed to keep charge over their own people and they're not, they're not keeping it up. And so they, they beat the leaders. And so the leaders go to Pharaoh and say, why are y'all beating us? You're not even giving us all the stuff we need. And so they're, they're complaining. They go to the taskmasters, then they go straight to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, again, is like, I don't care what you have to say. You're not doing what we ask. Too bad. The assignment is unreasonable. But Pharaoh did not like their response at all and just continues to call them lazy. So they complain first within themselves and, and even to Pharaoh. And then second, they protested against Moses and Aaron. Verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. As they came out from Pharaoh, they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You, Moses and Aaron, you have made us stink before Pharaoh. Now, if we rewind the tape just a little bit, the very end of chapter four, the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited or cared for the people of Israel, they had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. You see, this is more than just their average complaint, their average pouting. They are actually blaming Moses and Aaron for their trials. And yet, verses ago, like just what seems like a minute before, they, they believed and worshiped. Has this ever happened to you? You ever believe and worship one minute and complain and doubt the next? Oh, man. I mean, yes, right? Oh, that happens to all of us. It's mountain high, valley low, real fast. God, how great you are. I believe that you're going to work. I believe that you're going to move. I believe these things. Oh, ooh. something rough happened. Uh, I've got difficult. I'm in a challenging situation. That can be said of all of us. So Moses, Moses again has a response. Moses cried to the Lord. Verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. I, I, I wrestle a little bit with uh, how, how Moses is speaking here. I'm, I'm, part of me really wanted to find this drastic difference between the, what he is speaking and the way the, the people of Israel are speaking. They're certainly blaming Moses and Aaron. They have said, why did you do this? Moses says, why did you do this? Sounds very similar, doesn't it? 
Moses is saying, God, why, why did you do this? Why did you send me back here? Why have you done this evil to this people, your people? And, and I, I don't know if this was right or not. It doesn't feel right, certainly. But I do know this. I know that in this, this was an honest expression from Moses. Why? Why, God? It was an honest expression. He's, he's saying, why? And, and the one thing I will say about this why is that's all through the Psalms. Why? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face away from me? Why am I all, why do I feel all alone? Why do I feel this way? Why is this happening to me? Why God? And so here's what I would say is that there is freedom to go to God with honesty and say why. Moses seems to be saying, I was obedient to you. I, I, I was doing what you told me to do. And now all of this is blowing up in my face, despite the fact that you told me he was going to say no. <laughs> you warned me. You gave me a heads up. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. This is not going to be the way you think it's going to be. You know, it's, it's honest expression of Moses. You kind of wonder, he's like, I, I, I thought you were going to be like the midwife that, that delivered me. Oh, I, I thought you were going to be like a, a basket for me who, who rescued me. I thought that, that was going to be my story. I thought you were going to show your power over the people and, and save them. Where are you? It's like he's shouting back, where are you, God? See, we have this common idea that if we obey God, then God will fill in the blank. If then, if we obey, God will. We, we have created a karma-like transactional agreement with God that if I do this for him, he will have to do that for me. I work really hard, so I, I don't get cancer and neither do any of the people I love. I, I give my money so I don't lose my job. I don't cheat on my spouse so they don't cheat on me. I take my kids to church so they won't disobey my rules. But what if, what if instead we, we started making more accurate statements? Like, my life is like filthy rags, yet... You have given me faith to believe. How about my sin is so much, but your grace is sufficient? How about, God, you are strong when I am weak? Because the life of obedience is not a life of ease. Some of us even thinks that this is how it's going to work in heaven. If I do good here, I will get a bigger, better mansion there. 
or my crown will have more jewels there. Or I won't have to be a housekeeper there. How about I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than anything else, anywhere else. How about I will take whatever crown I do receive and I'll simply lay it at his feet to the one who rightly deserves that crown. What if those were our kinds of phrases? What if those became marks of us? See, I, I agree. Some of us, we want revival to come. Like the revival we've heard and seen of it, Asbury College, we want that, but we're not willing to turn away from our sin and obey God. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to see a movement of the Holy Spirit that draws people to Christ. I want that for this church. I want for that for this community, this place, these people. I want that. But I'm not going to try to manufacture that. And I'm not even saying that's what's happening there. Actually, I've heard very positive things and believe that God is at, at work there, but we can't just simply pray harder or sing more songs or sing louder in order for that to take place. It takes people turning away from their sin and trusting in God. That's what revival is. It's life being given and that can only happen by the Holy Spirit. If we want revival to happen, which trust me, I want revival to happen, then may we, as individuals, confess our sin before God. May we be a, a, a place and a people who say, God, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Turn away. True revival is always evidenced by confession, repentance, humility, and obedience. Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be phenomenal if that's how we were marked? That we were known as an obedient people, not a, not a complaining people. That we were known as a, as a humble people, a confessional people. Oh, may these be markers of colonial heights. May these be things that when, when you're praying for revival, please pray for revival. When you're praying for revival, pray that people would confess their sin before. Plead with him. Go, spirit, move in the hearts of people. And, and, right, what does it say? And let it begin with me. Stir in my heart, God. Oh, spirit. Spirit, convict me of my sin. Oh, church. Karma and some reward-based religion isn't what Christianity is about. This is yet another reason that the book of Exodus is so beautiful. It rightly points us to a hopeful gospel. Oh, there's a hopeful gospel. There's this honest expression given by Moses, but then there is a hopeful gospel that we see. This gospel, it points us to the one true God who is deserving of our complete and total surrender. He is perfect in all of his ways. He is known then as holy, set apart in perfection. His holiness separates us from him because we are sinful. We have gone against his will, gone against his plan. We've disregarded and disobeyed him. But not because we did not uh, do enough good 
or give enough money or pray enough prayers, but honestly, because we couldn't do enough even if we tried. Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. He came and lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we deserve to die and conquered the enemy that we could not conquer. All we must do is repent and believe. Scripture tells us, like the words I, I like to use often to describe those words, repent and believe, turn and trust. Turn away from our sin. Turn away from our ways and our will and, and our wants and our desires. Turn away from us and trust in Jesus. Surrender our whole life to him. We'll do whatever it is you say. We'll follow whatever it is your plan is. Will you do that today? We heard testimony of a new brother and sister in Christ. He said they, they heard Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. and said, even though the wage of sin is death, even though I know I'm a sinner, the gift of God is eternal life. Like they preached for me today. What if, what if that was your story? What if your story was, I, I heard that I had sinned against a holy God. So I knew I needed to turn and trust in him. What if your story happens today? T today, you turn away from your sin and trust in him. You see, our, our karma-like plan just doesn't satisfy. It, it doesn't work. For those of us who are believers, who have already done this, we can no longer ask, why is this bad thing happening to me? I'm a good person. Why wouldn't we expect to be treated like Jesus? He was perfect. And he was treated with horror by those around him. When bad things happen to us, we often ask that question, right? Why did this happen? I'm so good or I haven't done that much wrong to deserve this. Yet the perfect son of God did nothing wrong, and yet he received the worst of it all. I realize that this is somewhat of a cliffhanger because I'm not even telling you how the Lord responds. But you can know, even now, that the Lord has not left you. Even though you haven't heard the answer to your why question, Maybe right now, right where you sit, you say, I've been asking God why for a minute now, and he hadn't answered me. You know, the, the Lord answers prayer in a few different ways. Yes, no, not yet. But even with those answers, you could have variations like yes, but not the way you wanted. No, but the other is much better. Not yet, but the wait will be worth it. What if it was though not yet and the wait is going to be hard? You're wondering maybe how do I respond to all of this? Respond with repentance and belief. Respond by confession of sin. 
respond by celebrating that no matter how hard life gets and no matter what we are walking through as believers, the Lord of hosts is with us. No matter what scenario or situation you are in that is not safe, know that the King Almighty reigns. He doesn't just reign over all in some distant land. He reigns over you right where you are. Maybe your response today is to to do just that, to, to give him the glory that he deserves. I often offer this room to my left where there will be those there that would love to help answer some of the questions you have, help point you to scripture, help pray with you. And that is certainly there today. And I want to invite you uh, as your response, as we stand in just a moment to respond by by asking some of those questions, seeking prayer. Maybe it is that you use these steps as as a place to come and plead with God, to ask God to do what only God can do. You would you would even make that moment, that, that kind of steps of, of obedience for you to say, I, God, I'm confessing sin in my life and I want to ask you to, to stir in the hearts of your people. But whatever your response is today, may, may our response as we leave be obedience to the one who we've surrendered ourselves to. So stand with me as we respond to the Lord.